Welcome to Media Culture and Why We Feel Like Crying So Much. Each week, we use media theory to make sense of our everyday media habits, practices, and experiences. I'm Grant Latanzi. And I'm Stephanie Che. So before this, I was on a call and I had to share my screen for something. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing my screen for like 35 minutes, which normally when I do that, at some point I forget and like start doing other shit. And then I'm like, oh God. But this time I didn't forget, but I had to take notes. And so at first I was taking notes where like everyone could see uh-huh. that I was typing like summaries of what they were saying as they were saying it. And I was like, this for some reason is making me so, so nervous. And so I had to go to like switch so they couldn't see it. What did you do to switch? I have two monitors. So oh, okay. I, I shared one monitor okay. and then kept the other private. All that is to say, surprise, I did no prep for this episode. But I have been <laughs> But I have been like reading through my past like episode prep notes. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get back to going. I wanted to like watch some of them again, but yeah. it just didn't happen. I don't blame you. Holidays were a lot, and then we both forgot that we were recording last week, and so we're <laughs> off to a great start. It wasn't on the calendar. It wasn't on we the can't calendar. Be held accountable. <laughs> I did some prep for today's episode. I saw. I think I did like too insane of prep. <laughs> That's for probably this good. Because like. I went through some of our past episodes and I read them. I didn't listen to them Mm -hmm. and I did pick out a lot of things. And then I was like, okay, like if we introduce, this is how I would introduce them. Awesome. I think that's great. So I'm thinking back to like our first ideas that we really focused on. And so the spectacle was big kind of inroad for us guide the board society the spectacle and i think that kind of starting on that path to me has emerged a couple like main thinking tools that we've been relying on one is historicizing Mm -hmm. which is looking at things in the context of their history Uh, and the other is naturalizing which is a sort of more sinister process by which we take as inevitable our given circumstance. And I feel like those things come up in pretty much all our subsequent discussions. Yeah, we love Society of the Spectacle. Mm-hmm. All right. Society of the Spectacle. It was one of our first episodes was Weddings as a Spectacle. And if you haven't listened to that one, go back and give it a listen. It's one of our least listened to episodes, but it's very strong. So go check it out. God, I just, I just, sorry, I just glanced at a quote from the Society of the Spectacle. And it's every time it just knocks you on your ass. Waves of enthusiasm for particular products fueled and boosted by communication media are propagated with lightning speed. I saw you had some notes about the Stanley Tumblr. I have so much to say about the Stanley Tumblr. Oh my god. How up to date are you on that whole thing? I've been, like, reading tidbits of it. Okay. So I'm gonna set up the, like, scene for people who don't know what the Stanley Tumblr is, and then 
we'll get into the society of the spectacle aspect of it and products and lightning speed, all of that. So Stanley Tumblr is a, what, 40 ounce, really ugly looking water vessel. And if you listen to our Emma Chamberlain episode, you'll know all about uh, the obsession with the hydro flask. And so Stanley is the latest version of it. So like we had the Yeti cup and then we had hydro flask with the Visco girlies. And then now we have the Stanley Tumblr. People are going absolutely crazy for them. Like they're camping out at Starbucks to get the Starbucks collab one. And then buying like eight of them. Yeah. And then the Target one, there were so many TikToks of employees like filming, like people running through Target to get the red ones because that was a limited edition. And then you have the people who are, who have a wall of Stanley's. So that's the latest. What is this, like a Funko Pop? You know, on terms of ugliness, they are very similar in that nature. (laughs) I'm so sorry if you have either one of these things, but... Someone's sitting there, like, with a collection of both, and they're like, (laughs) So what we have at its core is a water bottle. And we have talked extensively about water bottles in our Emma Chamberlain episode, and then you made an apology. I did, about my wallet. Yeah. But, like, I swear to God, if a wallet becomes the new Stanley... Anyway... And so I guess where, like, the society of the spectacle part that comes in is that, like, because I am fully putting most of the blame on TikTok of, like, people see other people with the Stanley, like, how they put their drinks in it. And then it became the new it cup of, like, middle schoolers. And, like, there were a bunch of videos after, like, the holidays of, like, people bullying children because they didn't have, like, a Stanley. They had, like, a knockoff version of it. And that was a whole other discussion of, like, brand names and, like, what it's actually for, stuff like that. But then, yeah, like, just TikTok funneling this, not funneling isn't the right word, but, like, TikTok, you see it on your feed and then you're like, oh, like, that's the cup that I need this time. But you probably did the same thing with the Hydro Flask and you don't use it anymore because it's not trendy and, like, oh, you still have used your hydro flask when it's still a perfectly functioning water bottle. Mm-hmm. Can you tell I am hyped about this? Well, it's like, it's a cup. <laughs> it's a cup <laughs> that is so much more. Mm-hmm. And the more is complete fantasy. Let's go another level. This is from the dialectic of enlightenment. The public this is from our culture industry episode. The public is catered for with a hierarchical range of mass-produced products of varying quality, thus advancing the rule of complete quantification. Everybody must behave as if spontaneously in accordance with the previously determined and indexed level and choose the category of mass-produced product turned out for this type. I'm a middle schooler and middle schoolers have Stanley Cups. Yes. Consumers appear as statistics on research organization charts and are divided by income groups into red, green, and blue areas. The technique is that used for any type of propaganda. Mm-hmm. I am reading a book right now, and it almost feels like reading the Communist Manifesto for the first time. Or I should say Das Kapital for the first time. The Costs of Connection by Nick Coldry and Ulysses Mejias. 
nailed it. Uh, it's a 2019 book. The subtitle, the, co the full title is The Costs of Connection, How Data is Colonizing Human Life and Appropriating It for Capitalism. Oh. So a lot of the guys that we heavily learned about in our grad course around this material, most, most directly related to this material. And a lot of these guys are dialoguing, they're dialoguing really heavily with Marx and with Marx's basic idea that the natural world has been reoriented so as to serve as frictionless input for capitalism. I mean, look, like think of the vast amounts of farmland across our limited livable surface area of the earth. Like it has been literally the ground has been cultivated for capitalism. Anytime uh, transportation infrastructure is put in place, that is the, the machine of capital in motion. And it's a fucking awesome machine. And by, like it is powerful. I look at the New York City skyline and it's entirely the product of that machine where it gets really fucked up, if that's not already kind of fucked, is that capitalism relies on expansion. It can't sit at the same size. It has to expand and build new markets. There is a huge market now in the purchase and sale of data, particularly through platforms like Netflix, Amazon, and Google. They sell data to third parties and maybe those third parties clean it and sell the data on to someone else or they sell it to um some sort of like education software developer like there's all sorts of data needs but basically what it amounts to is now in our daily life just as the natural world was oriented as input for capitalism our lives through data infrastructure in this process of data colonialism our, our very activities of life are surveilled, datafied, and created as input for capitalism. In the Matrix, people are shown as batteries. And I, I cannot think of a more appropriate metaphor. Because in the book's title, um, they use the, 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 the sort of central defining concept is that of data colonialism. And they start off by saying, this is not a metaphor. It is colonialism the same way you know it. Thinking back to the, the days of European centric colonialism in, I guess what, like, like 1650 to like 1950, like he's basically saying, this is the exact same maneuvers, the same playbooks of power. But it's a new stage and some really scary results or some scary threats, I should say. Just as in Marx's eyes, capitalism had disrupted human beings' relations with physical nature in the era of data colonialism. Capitalism risks disturbing humanity's relations to its nature. That is, our lives as reflective, relatively autonomous human beings. Data colonialism interposes infrastructures of data extraction directly into the texture of human life. What do you think a smart TV is? People wonder, why does my fridge have a computer in it? Why does my toaster have a computer in it? That is corporate surveillance, or should I say surveillance of an emerging corporate state on your life. 
Data colonialism interposes infrastructures of data extraction directly into the texture of human life and so risks deforming human experience in a fundamental way, invading the space of the self on which the values of autonomy and freedom in all their forms depend. This book is radicalizing me and I already thought I was radicalized. Yeah. Uh, it's Stanford University Press 2019. It's incredible. Uh, Nick Coldry co-authored The Mediated Construction of Reality, which we oh, did shit. an episode on. Yeah. yeah. For me, this data colonialism book very much is like, it's the first book I've read. And it makes sense that it's Nick Coldry that's the first author on it because like, I mean, it's two authors. They both wrote it. But like, he took the sort of preliminary step to this book in The Mediated Construction of Reality of like, here's some ways that like the way that the life world is upheld might be being influenced by ubiquitous digital media. And now it's like, all right, so let's look real close at the powers at play in these. And so there's a lot of market research in the book situating the scope of the emerging, um, he calls it the social quantification sector. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about 20 years old and it's the enemy. Can you tell us why it's the enemy? <laughs> no. Yes. I will read. <laughs> so I'll read you one more quote from it. Oh, also, uh, look at this. Like the first review on the inside cover is Deanna Boyd. <gasps> yeah. Love. <laughs> Here we go. Some of the main actors in these transformations, that is the data colonialist tendency, are already familiar. As just mentioned, we call them the social quantification sector. The sector has been growing for a long time, in part through marketers' accumulation of consumer data, such as credit card data, which began in the 1980s. Oh yeah, all your financial decision-making is rolled up in this too, because you also do that through software that extracts the data, quantif like quantifies your social behavior, your purchases, your Venmo transactions to your friends. Are you in debt? They're going to quantify that too. They're going to sell it to a marketing firm who is in charge of representing, I don't know, whoever's trying to sell the bums that don't pay their credit card bill. Like, it's fucking insane to me. Pay with cash. Yeah, like, it, it's actually insane the amount of surveillance that... And so part of the reason that I also brought up the idea of naturalizing is because that is the point that um, Coldry and Miehoff make yes make over and over again is that they, this is being naturalized right mm -hmm. in front of our eyes if... If we wait too long, if something doesn't change, it will be naturalized. And then we're all Uber drivers. Like, there are so many things that could go wrong in, in the realms of labor, in the realms of family, healthcare, city planning, politics, everything. Let's see. Uh, in the past 15 years, however, the social quantification sector has grown in complexity and depth. So some names are Apple, Microsoft, Samsung, uh, anything that makes smart fridges, heating systems, smart stuff in cars, um, the anything Internet of Things, Alibaba, uh, Facebook, Google, WeChat, Axcom, Equifax, uh, Talking Data, that's a Chinese company. They aggregate, analyze, repackage, and sell data of all sorts while also supporting other organizations and their uses of data. There's also Netflix, Spotify, Airbnb, Uber. These are all the social quantification sector. 
And it's sort of like defining it in such a way, it's like, yeah, bam, like they're doing it for different reasons, but the end result is through these platforms and through what's also uh, built out in the book as the cloud empire, our ability to offload things to an, a different like computer storage area and access them anywhere at any time. There's some really fucked up shit going on. Oh, and by the way, all your location data is wrapped up in this too. And do you wear an Apple Watch? We got your health stuff too. It's actually crazy. And the fact that it is like, look at how dating is done now. There's so many con touch points in dating that can be quantified and surveilled and used as input for capitalism. DMs on Instagram, all the dating apps. All the swipes no. that you do, the yeah, amount of times like, you do it, what time you do it. Shopping, like, around, you know, like, did you buy two movie tickets? Well, what's that? Like, there's a lot of inference. Did you buy two movie tickets on a Friday night right after you bought dinner for two? Okay, like, <laughs> yeah. now we have some more data. Did you buy cologne a week before that? Oh, okay. Like, it's... I... I've always known this, like it's so obvious. Um, how many times have we all had the experience of like, I was just talking about that and now I'm getting ad after ad after ad after ad. But like having it framed as like this insane consolidation of power in a basically like tech, government mostly in the u.s and china also the way that data colonialism manifests in china is way way darker should that playbook be borrowed by other nations like hmm. it almost sounds like the end like it is like surveillance and control pre previously if imagination and another scary thing the book written in 2019 again and again is saying these organizations are investing in AI for a reason. And that's, I just got goosebumps. Like this is, when I say it's radicalizing me, I think it's because it's like right here, right now, shit is going down. Like it's not just that we have these digital transformations over the past 20 years. Like there's so much more that is in motion, but it's all like directly in dialogue with Marx and therefore in dialogue with pretty much all the theorists that we are, that we bring into this podcast welcome back to the pod yeah welcome back <laughs> i just had to get that out i guess sorry everyone that's not from our previous ones but i but i think a lot of our past conversations can come back to that point yeah we talked about jeremy's razors we talked about water bottles we talked about our spotify wrapped we talked about consuming for entertainment all of that mm -hmm. i want to share something with you that I screenshot a couple weeks ago and I hate it so much. So I was on threads <laughs> and somebody had a smart fridge and you know, like I hit a wall in thinking like how much data companies could collect on us, like how little and like seeped into our everyday could they get. Here came the smart fridge. This person shared a screenshot that said when you are the only person in the New York City region dumb enough to connect your fridge to Wi-Fi and the screenshot is of their like smart fridge compared to regional average 
you open the door 61 more times than the regional average. And that has a little graph of your house that says your average 61 and a gray house that says zero. Regional the reason average. they did the reason they did that is so they can say this adds value for the consumer yes. and we take the data and we do a little something with yeah. it too. Why is You this... get fuck all out of that. Yeah. They are doing that to justify what they're doing. Why do we all need right. that information? Why do we need to know how many times we open our fridge? We don't. <laughs> they do yeah god that just is insane yeah it's and, uh, like i can't believe i never thought like people are all the time like why are they putting computer in my blender it's like this is why mm -hmm. because they could god oh i'm heated i'm hot <laughs> i'm hot today welcome back to the pod <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um and then people are looking at this as like a perk like oh i get to know this about myself and it's like no, you don't. Mm -hmm. Leave it alone. Yep. It's it's crazy. And it's crazy the maneuvers that, like, these companies go through to gloss this over in their language. Like, Apple's been running on, like, advertising with this idea of, like, we are so private. Like, privacy, mm. that's Apple. A little bit, I guess, but... That's the, isn't that the highest market valuated company in the whole planet? Yeah. Nicely collecting. Like, <laughs> and I believe there are like several workarounds where they do share data with um, others. Their biggest client, I think, is Google. Um, That's why you're able to integrate Google's programs with Apple yeah. so much. Because they play by Apple's rules to get their products on iPhones. Yeah. I want to talk about convenience here real quick. That, you got to read data closure. That's like yeah, that's another thing. Like <laughs> it's all like look how convenient this is. Like it is convenient and that's why the book is called The Cost of Connection. Yeah. There's a flip side. Yeah. We've talked about it in past episodes of like nothing is ever free. Like you pay with your data, all that stuff. But in terms of convenience, like all of these things like you said, the convenience of having like so I have a Mac, I have an iPhone, I have an iPad. I had an Apple Watch. It's still on my like thing, but I don't use it anymore. And all of this is simply because because I have an iPhone, I can text people on my laptop. And on my iPad, I can have all of my documents. I don't have to like email it to myself and then download it. No, it's just there in mm -hmm. my iCloud folder. And then I pay $9.99 a month for two terabytes of storage because I'm like, oh, I can just keep all the photos on my phone. Maybe I should like practice what we preach, but... <laughs> but how? Yeah, like... it. That's it's the so thing. Convenient. Like, it's like, it. well, it's, it's also like my alternative like any alternative I can think of is basically to go analog mm -hmm. and it's like would that even be interoperable with the world yeah like I tried using an analog calendar from November to now and I forgot that I was meeting up with people I forgot that I was calling people because I had like two different calendars and then when I was out of the house trying to make plans I didn't have my calendar, so I, like, couldn't make plans with them on the spot. Whereas if I had a Google calendar, I could be like, oh, yeah. actually, I have this thing tomorrow. Let's not do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a good, like, there's, I, I think particularly with, I use Google Calendar, too, so I'll stick with that. But, yeah. like, digital calendar technologies in general is, a, like, 
significant value added to the user. Yeah. But things like, you know, like, I like, again, like all the, the smart appliances, it's, it's, it just feels so obvious. Mm-hmm. Of, like, there isn't a reason your toaster would need to connect to the internet other than more input from you, mm-hmm. the fucking battery. Stop using them. Can I go back to the Google Calendar, though, real quick? I remembered a reading that we read in Utopia and Dystopia Narratives about tech. And I'll have to, like, share the link or something. But they were talking about how the information that you put into your Google Calendar, companies were using it to, like, spy on... I think this piece was specifically people of color and, like, how they organize and, like, all of that. Which is, like, so insane. People are always, like, oh, you're too paranoid and say that Big Brother is watching. But, like, they are. Like, they are. They have all. They know where you're going. They know who you're meeting. They're they're not just watching, but they're situating. Yeah. I hope we don't sound too conspiratorial here. Because, again, (laughs) like, like, it's. If you look at how these companies talk to people. And then you look at where their money actually comes from. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you know that each user on Facebook equals about $233 added to the value of the company? That's disgusting. You joined for free. Yeah. That's nice. They get that much worth of data just Mm -hmm. from you being there. And why do you think Facebook is used to sign into everything? It's because you agreed to give Facebook your data. And so when you use them to sign in, they now get access to that whole branch. Why are they they tied with Goodreads? And they can sell that to whoever they want. Yeah. Not a, I, they did get in trouble a few years ago um, The with the, um, there's a name for it. There was like a famous whistleblower um, for like yes. their, what was it called? It was like the something scandal, cyber, the sub something, I don't know. But I also want to go back to what you were saying about like, or just let's just stick on calendars. We've also talked about another kind of theme that comes up for me a lot at least is that of time Mm -hmm. not only looking at how like the different like affordances of media technologies evolve over time just looking at the history of it but what we have done to the idea like time is fake it's our i shouldn't say fake i should say arbitrary like we could put new year's anytime there's a different chinese new year's doesn't make a difference like but we didn't start syncing up our times to the extent that we did until the railroad until the industrial revolution and then when that happened that that primed really like the modern workforce like the way that we do work depends on this temporal synchronization i'm curious what your top episodes were i think all of my top episodes tie into society of the spectacle and social relations that stem from that and how deeply ingrained language is in our day-to-day so i'm just gonna list them welcome to media life actually the one recording right now might be in one of my top but yeah (laughs) but welcome to media life because i think that is why Welcome to Media Life perfectly, like, 
establishes like why we have this podcast and then our episodes reacting to Emma Chamberlain's Day in the Life because I think that brings in like celebrity products being propagated at lightning speed. Um, I also like that it situates us as consumers alongside our audience because like yes. we, that's a big thing for our podcast too is that we are like we're in this too. We mm-hmm. we scroll too long on platforms too. We fall for misinformation too. Like. Yeah. But the goal is to, like, again and again, try to refine how you see it. Yes. My next favorite episode is our culture industry episode of how, like, the industry... You're telling me an industry made this culture? Yeah, Yeah, I love that. It's like, I thought this was, like, I thought we all decided to do this because we liked it. Like, I don't know. No, (laughs) not so democratic. (laughs) My last one is not really like my top favorite but i think a relevant conversation that a lot of like culture magazines and opinion pieces are having is the sense of the loss of community loss of third places Mm -hmm. loss of like collectivism and how we're all doing like individual spiritualism individual like goals and manifesting all of that um so i think that one's relevant yeah the community and the collective vis-a-vis individualism is also huge on top of that i'd also add health and wellness has come up a lot because Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day like it's so easy to feel like we're just a brain being like carried around in a meat suit but we are our bodies and to to a very real extent like the body thinks and like is in, in the same way that the mind is we did one episode specifically on mental health we did one on like like fitness culture kind of yeah we did the fitness health and wellness mythologies episode that's what it was and i think that is something that i really like towards the end of like last year started or the end of like 2022 started to really appreciate is that like no matter what like we we are tied in like we have these webs of culture that we're tied in that's a metaphor from the interpretation of cultures uh gear uh, clifford geertz yeah clifford geertz we're in the web of culture, but we're also in the web of biology and we are always in both and maybe more. I don't know. But like, I know that we are as much as we are doing all these like thinky things and these things that just are pulled away from and outside of our physical form. Like that's where it comes from. I wrote that media technology binds the body in space and time in ways that it was not meant to be bound Mm -hmm. it's sort of like we're living the allegory of the cave sometimes yeah and there's there and and that's what we go into in the fitness episode is like it's almost a farce to be like well you could go to the gym for an hour and like there you go like you have a biological form it's Mm -hmm. like it's well my biological form is what set up for input for capitalism right call that alienation I've been in a really good mood the past couple weeks, which yeah. is interesting because of, like, how mad this stuff has been making me. Um, but Is, is it because know. we're not talking about it on a weekly basis? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's because I've been, like, I've been reading about it and, um, obvi- like, talking about it to anyone who will listen until I'm able to get it out in this space. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think it's unrelated. But it's, like, I don't know. It just, I it feels very clear to me that... shit's fucked Mm. and i feel like crying like my own personal like explanation i do 
feel like crying, but like, I also feel like my own personal explanation, like and like my opinions on it, have developed over the course of this year. Mm-hmm. And I I think a lot of that is from our just sitting down and like putting thought to it, even if it's not super structured or rigid. Like I still think it's really helping refine like how I think of these things yeah. and and even how I like mobilize them in work you showed me notion and um i think it would be notion would be a really good way to manage a large library of grant application material because we you just end up writing so many different stories and paragraphs about different things that like how do you keep track of it all yeah um and so like i was very much able to like be like okay like what is this software solution what are they promising to do but like what is it actually do and what does it ask of me the user and putting it in those words i think helps others so i don't know i'm excited because i think that like there are tools that we could equip just anyone willing to learn that really are effective at seeing through the bullshit like and a lot of them come from the literary tradition or the hermeneutic tradition like they might not come from the most obvious places but I, I want to share, like, the perspective that we are developing in, like, a formalized way, you know? Like, I think that would be really cool. What a great reflection. <laughs> yeah. I will echo it. It's so nice to, like, talk out your thoughts. The whole idea in uh, Spectacle, where it's, like, we're uniting the isolated, but, like, talking it out, it's, like, you're not as, like isolated i don't know (laughs) yeah i think and i think another thing that i really like is so often i'll kind of like take a conversation we had here Mm -hmm. like people will kind of be talking about it in a more everyday Mm -hmm. way because it's like people are always talking about media like it's it because it's everywhere um but then like i'll sort of like share Mm -hmm. ideas that we've developed on the podcast or we've been like parsing through on the podcast and often the reaction is like, yeah, like, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So media life and data colonialism, while they, they pose immense threats, it's also, like, probably the largest common ground that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Like, we're in this shit together. Yeah. Even most of the people that work for the social quantification sector, they're not evil they're guess what they're getting quantified in the same way Mm -hmm. except for the people at the tippy 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 top but for the most part like they don't have any autonomy in in that system either i want to come back full circle and talk about how people have been talking about the stanley cup and like this is a thing that everybody is either witnessing or buying into and so many different platforms have been speaking about it and yeah like we're now one of those platforms talking about it but most of the other platforms that I've seen, it's like, oh, this is, like, overconsumption. And it's like, yes, but then I like that we're, like, here is all of this text that goes with that. And how yeah. this is not, like, a new thing. Like, this is just another iteration of what has happened before and what will continue exactly. to happen. Yeah, it's not, we're not passless. We yeah. never have been. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. Do we feel like crying today? <laughs> I feel like raging against the machine. I was talking to a friend of mine and she was talking about how she's, she'd been reading something about is an ontological piece about the nature of reality. And, um, 
the author was sort of floating the idea that our reality, you know, we, a lot of us are cool with the idea that we all have our own subjective reality, but the author kind of is like, isn't that about like living in a dream state? Because my dreams are only immediately accessible to me. And then when I turn around and put them in language, like it, it does, I, I can't get like the whole experience necessarily. And so it's, it's really like, it's like what I've said, like we can stand with one foot in the same reality and our like intense, successful quote unquote, like social encounters. Like I do believe that we can have like an earnest communion mm -hmm. in a reality, but I think even then it's fragmented and like it and fleeting. Mm -hmm. It's like a constant process that we're all creating. And so that this author was like, kind of like we're like reality is a dream. And I, and then like to consider the digital layer on top of that is very strange. In my head, the way I see the digital, like, reaching into things is the same as, like, the railroad tracks spreading across what used to be native land. Like, yeah. it just, it grabs it and it twists it because that was not, like, like, there was no capitalism in pre-colonial North America, right? It was, it was, my understanding is in, in many cases... A sustainable orientation living with nature drastically lower human population and more subtle manipulation of the natural world like the colon the colonizers arrived they're like it's kind of nice that there's so much fruit like along the parts that are easy to walk around and the natives are like yeah i mean we put those there yeah. um like <laughs> but anyways in that conversation like situating reality is a dream my friend was like i feel like there's still enormous value in trying to wake up. And, mm. and I said that I think that's like the fight is, I don't know. I know wake up is a metaphor. A lot of people use like who doesn't think they're red pilled these days, but there's something very real in like believing that there is like a heart of the matter and like, dare I say truth Maybe not with a capital T, but, like, I don't know. There's something, like, in that, like, we might share it. I don't know. I'm kind of running out of steam here. But I'm very excited for our next year yeah. of producing this. And especially with our every other week process. I guess we should speak more to that. Um, yeah, the pod will come out every other Thursday. Maybe. I mean, Maybe. we said it would be every Thursday <laughs> when we started, and it was like, it was already every other Thursday. Yeah. Just tune in on Thursdays and see if there's an episode or not. We'll let you know. We're also yeah. going to be better about our social media presence, because we have to be. Yeah. And... <laughs> Happy to be back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you feel like crying? I didn't ask you. Um, I do. But also, I am happy that we can have these conversations again. And I am not just internally raging, we're raging together. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, so you're the only person who engages with me on threads, like, at all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but, like, I don't know if it's because I'm not explaining myself. Uh -huh. It's just, like, I don't know. I feel like that's but, just like, how threads is. 
here's another thing I want to say uh -huh. about this next year is we're coming into an election year and Jesus Christ, like if you think that the uh like the Walmarts and the Amazons of the world are annoying with their data <sighs> surveillance and the way that they use it. Man oh man, like Jesus Christ, this is just gonna be so messy. Like we just got ChatGPT a year ago. Mm -hmm. There's no regulation around it. Facebook's gonna be selling political ads again. Like YouTube is already pushing they are and so like i almost feel obliged to opine on it in the context of media and everyday life and i think that that content's probably going to circulate pretty well because that's what social media platforms want mm -hmm. and it's just like increasingly less of a choice if, if you'll play along burn it down all right yeah. thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>